Father God, we give thanks now for your word. And we pray that you would fill us with your spirit and help us this evening to hear the things that are of you and forget the things that are not of you. In the name of Jesus, your son. Amen. Amen. Well, we are well and truly continuing our journey on Sunday evenings through the saga of Joseph. And we are nearly at the end in just a couple of weeks indeed we will in fact come to the end quite conveniently just before our Christmas services all happen and it's fair to say that we've already been on quite a journey it feels like a very long time ago Joseph was having his funny dreams and being chucked into wells by his brothers Since then, he's gone on this journey of himself in Egypt from prison to being promoted to second in the land. And now all of that is settling down. The upheaval of famine in the area, all the systems are in place to deal with it. And this is as good a time as any to get the whole family settled. Back in Canaan where the family are from, the famine is still going on and it makes a complete sense to move to Egypt to where the food is. And so that is what they do. And today they come and they settle in the land. And this is the first time that Pharaoh and Jacob meet each other. That's where we are up until this moment. And I'm not going to lie, I wish I had a lot more going in my brain, but this weekend... I have been completely and utterly consumed by sport. I have been absolutely taken in by all the sport that's been happening this weekend. (laughs) Now, as many of you know, I'm a big rugby fan. And yesterday, for a rugby fan, would have been a perfect day. Starting at one o'clock with Wales, should have been having a trouncing and giving a trouncing to Georgia, but that went a little bit wrong. And then followed by England versus New Zealand, France versus Australia, sorry, Ireland versus Australia, and so on. And then today, the Football World Cup beginning. Now, I'm not much of a, well, certainly not a huge football fan, but the World Cup is fascinating. This particular World Cup is especially fascinating because I've got to say, I don't know if I'm allowed to watch it or not. All the issues to do with Qatar and how they got the World Cup and things that are happening there, it's very confusing. And it's hard to get our heads around But that's also led me to do quite a lot of research on these big worldwide events like football, World Cups, Rugby World Cups, even to a lecture extent, and the Olympic Games. And it turns out that a lot of these particular competitions that happen are marred in quite a lot of controversy. The Olympic Games, Football World Cups, actually, they become a catalyst for a lot of not nice behaviour. Very often in history, when it comes to competing for a Football World Cup or an Olympic Games, many of the bids go in through dictators who want to take an opportunity to promote the country, people with another agenda. And an agenda, if you will, to promote the identity of their nation, to show that these are the people who will do it very well. And this year's Football World Cup actually is no different. Indeed, probably more controversial than any. What are the motives behind it? Why is it happening? And so on. So it is, if you will, a little bit conflicting to deal with it. 
But sport is sport, and the game is going on. And nations across the world come together for this festival of sport. Going back to the ancient world, we see a little bit of that going on at the same time. Pharaoh, in this context, is a leader of a great nation. He is a leader of the greatest nation in the world. He is the leader, of course, of Egypt. But Jacob is a leader as well. Sometimes we can look at Jacob and think he's a little old man. It says you, 130 years, though you're complaining about the fact that he's only 130. And forget that he himself is a leader of a nation. He is a leader of the nation of Israel. His sons will go on to form a nation, a nation which still exists now. Not just any nation, but a nation that is promised to be the apple of God's eye a special nation on earth. So these, if you will, are two great world leaders on the stage, two captains, if you will, of the international football teams coming together for this meeting. And this was the bit in that football match, if you will, where the captains come together, shake hands and swap flags. This was this bit of it all. They'd not met before, and it was imperative that it went very well. And it is clear from the two that it was going to go very well. Pharaoh was very kind to Jacob, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. But so much of the story is caught up in identity, and national identity, and their own individual identity as well. Issues that still exist today. It's one of the reasons why we have a Football World Cup every four years and Olympic Games every four years, because it's not just a celebration of sport, it's a celebration of identity and national identity. And this was the coming together, if you will, of two national identities as well. But at the heart of it, there are two men. There's Jacob and there's Pharaoh. Jacob is this man who has had one heck of a journey through life. He is a man who basically ripped off his brother to get the inheritance from him. He's a man who took the promise of God. He is a man who wrestled with God, given the name Israel. He is a man who had all these sons and he is a man who is a father of many nations. He's lived to 130 years old, but he is one miserable old little so-and-so. When Pharaoh meets him, and remember this is the first time they've met each other, all he does is whinge. All he does is complain. All he does is talk about how rotten his life is and how bad his life is. As I say, he's even complaining by the fact that he's lived to be 130 because his dad lived till he was 180. He just wants to complain and he wants to whinge and he wants to really hammer home to Pharaoh how hard his life has been. Now, in reality, it hasn't been that bad. Yep, he had a bit of a to-do with his brother, but they kind of made that up and he became the leader of this nation. 
In those days, having a lot of children was a very big thing, and he managed to have 12 boys. That is a really big deal. He had lots of sheep, he had lots of animals, he was incredibly wealthy. He actually had lots of good health and lots of good things going for him, but he wanted to focus on the negative things. He wanted to focus on what was wrong. And if you will, his identity, and certainly in this context, though you can see it throughout the story, seems to consume with, feel sorry for me. A lot of what Jacob was doing was saying to people, look, I've had it hard, feel bad for me. His identity was caught up with misery. When we think about his alternative name, Israel, Israel means wrestles with God. And he was someone who certainly wrestled with God. And I just go as far as to say that in this instance, he was wrestling with God in another way. Because what he should have been saying to Pharaoh on that day was, life has been good to me. I've had 12 sons. I've had so many animals. I've had land. I've had blessing upon blessing. And I've even been given the opportunity to come to this strange land and live for free and have a really good life for the end of my days. But he didn't. He wanted to hammer home how hard life is for him. And why this is important is, it's not really the way of our faith. And it's not really the way of Christ. And it's not really the people who we should aim to be. There is so much about Jacob in his life that we should not seek to emulate, though he did some good things as well. And this is certainly in that vein as well. We are not called to be miserable people. We are not called to be grumblers. We are not called to be complainers. Instead, we are called to celebrate the good things that God gives to us. We are called to celebrate all the blessings that we are given. And when it comes to identity, when people speak about us, that they say, that's a positive person, not a miserable person. That's a person who celebrates life and all that they've been given, not a person who's clearly had a lot and complains about everything. And when I talk about miserable people who complain about everything, I guarantee each and every one of us tonight has already got one or two people in mind who do it. And if you haven't got one in mind, congratulations, you were it. <laughs> it's such a human tendency as well to do, to compare ourselves to other people, to want what other people have got, to complain about the good things that we've got, even though we've got a lot but we are called to be people who give thanks in all circumstances. We are called to people to praise the Lord in all circumstances. We are people who are called by God to give thanks for the good things that he has given to us. And when people see us, they should see people who are full of joy and praise and thanksgiving. Even in these difficult times that we live in, people have got something good that is going on, something worth celebrating. One of the reasons why I love coming to church on Sunday evenings, other than seeing all you beautiful people who I love very much, is the fact that on a Sunday evening, our Hannah and Pete go out and buy a load of donuts. 
And being a vicar, I tend to be here first, and I tend to get my choice of whatever donut is going on. And everybody goes, gets a donut. It's brilliant. I absolutely love it. Do you know what nobody does? If there's a ring donut, nobody complains. No one says, oh, I don't want that. There's not enough donut in there. I want one of the other ones. But if you think about it through Jacob's eyes, he is somebody who would wins by the fact that he has got a ring donut because he is missing out on that much donut that should be in the middle. And you will find people who will do this. But a donut can serve as such a great illustration about who it is that we are called to be in God. Sometimes we can look at the whole, but really what we should be looking at is the donut. We should be looking at the good things that God has given to us. We will always have a hole in our life. While we're here on earth, there will always be stuff missing. There will be always things that we want more of, things that we want better, things that could be greater. There will be always be more things we want, and they can consume us. There will be things that our neighbours have got, our friends have got, our family have got that we wish we had. All these things can consume us. We can see the holes, but really we should be looking at the donuts. We should look at the good things that God has given to us in all circumstances. What's the big goal? Look at the donut and not the hole. That's what we should be doing giving thanks for all things that God has given to us. Jacob, though he was of God, though he was called by God, chose to take on a different identity when he met with Pharaoh. We are called to be thankful people. And perhaps we are called to be a lot as well like Pharaoh. When you look at Pharaoh, remember this guy is the chief. This guy is the leader of the greatest nation in the world. When he meets Jacob, this is a bit like when the USA will play Wales tomorrow. You've got one superpower and one much smaller nation. But he dealt with him with complete and utter equality. And not only did he meet him with great equality... He gave him so much respect. He was inquisitive about himself and his life. He wanted to know more about who he was. He wanted to know about his life story. Even though this was the great Pharaoh, he wanted to hear Jacob's story. He wanted to hear who he was. And he wanted to show just how special he thought that he was. And even though Pharaoh wasn't a Jew, even though Pharaoh didn't really believe in the God of Israel, though he perhaps acknowledged him, he allowed Pharaoh to bless him. That is a truly incredible thing. And think of this in geopolitical terms right now. That is like Mark Drayford going to Washington and blessing Joe Biden. That is not something we can imagine happening. But Pharaoh, in this instance, was willing to humble himself to be with the person who was by him. Pharaoh had the identity of being a humble man, a gracious man, 
a good man. And this really is part of the identity that we need to have ourselves. When we meet people in the world who are different to us, spend time with them. Question, find out, don't judge, be curious. Work out who they are and what they're about. Give them the time on earth, just as Jesus did. When we read the stories of Jesus in the scriptures, meeting with the strangers, what's truly remarkable is how much time he had for people, how much time he was willing to spend to people, how he was willing to eat with people. And bear in mind, Jesus was a busy dude. Jesus had a lot going on. There were a lot of demands on him, but he wanted to spend time with people, to know people, and really what he wanted to do was value people, respect people, and give them what they deserved. What a great reputation that is, and what a great reputation that would be for us. Wouldn't it be so wonderful if people, when they looked at us, saw people, the church, God's people, who are willing to do the same. Be so kind, so humble, so valuing, so respectful. So often, people see the other though. So often, people see the church as miserable, mean-spirited, unkind, complaining about what they do have and what they don't have. But really, what we should be doing is giving thanks to God for those good things and blessing others. Identity is something that we are both born with and something that we choose as we go through life. I was born a Welshman. In that sense, I will always be a Welshman. But so many other things I have chosen. I am a Welsh person, but I love rugby. That's a big part of my identity. I support Cardiff rugby and I support Wales. I support the British and Irish Lions when they meet. I support Cardiff City of football and I support the Welsh national team. Those are all things that I have chosen that are part of my identity. I was born in Merthyr, but now Aberystwyth is a strong part of my identity, a strong part of who I am now, something I chose to do to move here. And when you break it down, there are so many things that make up all our identities, where we're born, who we are, what we do with our interests, what we study in university, what we do for a living, the people who we surround ourselves with, the music that we listen to, the films that we like, all things that are part of our identity. And all of that is great. But we need to remember that above all those things, our identity is in one person. And that person is Christ. Our identity chiefly should come through Christ. I'm born Welsh. And for the time I'm on earth, I will be Welsh. But really, what I am is a citizen of heaven. And really, what we are, are citizens of heaven as well. In the Anglican Church, we tend to call people parishioners. And that's a very old, quaint, lovely word. But it's actually got a much deeper meaning. It essentially means exiles. 
what we are are exiles from our home. We are exiles from our home, and our true home is in heaven. Though we live where we live now, we are citizens of heaven, exiled to earth. And one day Christ will come and take us home to where we are meant to be. But until that day comes, we remember always that we are citizens of heaven. When it comes to our identity, where is our identity? We can talk about what kind of person we want to be, whether we're happy, miserable, welcoming, whatever it is. But fundamentally, we get to the place to be who God wants us to be by taking our identity in him first. To put in him first and saying, I believe in Christ. I am a follower of Christ. Even when it comes to the church, I am many things. I am an evangelical. I am an Anglican. I am a charismatic. I am a vicar. I wear blue shirts. But the most important thing is, I am a Christian. I am a Christian because Christ comes first. I'm a Christian because my desire is to be transformed in his image. I'm a Christian because I want to grow as a disciple. And I'm a Christian because I belong to his kingdom. And one day, I will live in his kingdom forever. Of course, because we have so many other identities going on, we can forget that so easily. And perhaps in this reading, that's what happened to Jacob. He forgot his identity as someone called by God. He was so consumed with sharing his misery that he took his eyes off who he was in the, God, in the Lord even for a moment. When we come to worship, we are reminded that our identity is in Christ. And on a Sunday like today, we get to do it all the more. Because when he went into heaven and until he comes, Jesus left us a symbol, a memorial, something to do to remind ourselves of the truth of who our identity is until he returns. And that is communion. A sacrament, an outward sign of an inward grace, a place to meet with Jesus. Communion means a common union. And our common union tonight is in Christ. We come from scattered lives. We are of different ages. We come from different occupations. We come from different income provisions. We come from different social ideas. We come from different political ideas. We come from all of these things, but we're united by one thing, and that is Christ. And tonight, as a church... As God's people, together, we have the opportunity to affirm our identity in Christ. To come and take the bread, if we like to take the wine and say, yes, I believe in Christ. I am a follower of Christ. My identity is in him. Above all things, I want to follow him. And take to him all the things that are on our hearts. If we choose to come for communion tonight, let us do so acknowledging who he is to us. And on this last day of the church year, 
this stir up Sunday, may we be stirred up for what the Lord wants to do next, what the Lord wants to do in the weeks ahead, over Christmas in the year ahead, what God wants to do with us as individuals and what God wants to do with us as a church, what God wants to do in Arboristwith and across the world. Let us be stirred up by God's Spirit and may God's Spirit stir us up to serve him. May our identity truly be in Christ and may our eyes be on Christ as well. So let's just pray. Father God, I give thanks to you today for my family that is the church. And I give thanks that all we have so many different identities. You call us together as one. I give thanks that we have a common unity in you. And I give thanks, Lord, for the journey that you have led us on. Like Jacob, a journey that has been long, but a journey to this point. Lord, I pray that as we continue on this journey, our identity would not be one of complainers and grumblers, or ones of thankful people. Our identity, like Pharaoh, would not be of being closed off or arrogant, but of welcoming people, ready to get to know people, to share with people, and be as your son to people. I pray, Lord, this evening that our common unity would be in you. And Lord, I pray that you would stir something up in us. You would stir your spirit up in us. And as we come to the end of this church year, Lord, we would look ahead for all the things you want to do that are good. We pray that as we go into a new year, we would sow more richly the fruit of your spirit at work. You would plentifully stir us for good works and we would be plentifully rewarded by you. Stir us up, Lord, we pray. Fill our hearts with expectation of all that you can do and bless us as we bless your holy name. In the name of Jesus, your son. Amen.